1: Hey, hey, welcome to Page Break. I'm your host, Brian McClellan, coming to you on a blustery day in the mountains of Utah. Today's guest is science fiction author Wesley Chu. Wes is the author of The Lives of Tao and Time Salvager. In addition to his own work, he's written tie-in fiction for both The Walking Dead and Cassandra Clare's Mortal Instruments. Wes and I have been friends since our debut novels came out in the same month back in 2013, and we dive right in to talk about our respective careers and lurking professional anxieties. We also cover tie-in writing, intellectual property, and the holy grail of novel writing, the coveted TV and film deals. It was a blast catching up, and I hope you enjoy my chat with Wes.
2: An idea that's been sitting in the back of my head since it's like 2015, I've always wanted to write this Asian epic fantasy, you know, this kung fu fantasy series, and um, I remember like I wanted to. I wanted to write it for a long time, and around like 2018, um, you know, like all of, a lot of my peers are writing like really like I feel like really important books, books about the moment, books about our culture, books about the future, futurism, society, and everything. And when people ask me like, "Oh, Wes, What? What are you going to work on next?" I was like, "I want to write a kung fu fantasy." <laughs> you know, but you know what? It, it, it all worked out for me. But um, definitely, I I wrote the I sold the book up a partial in the end of 2019 and i spent the bulk of 2020 writing this you know this epic fantasy and it was 180,000 words yeah. it was a good size but it wasn't like but i felt like a lot longer than what you normally do right oh yeah i mean my, my biggest book before that was 165 and that was that was an outlier everything else is like one 110 to 125 whatever yeah. and i just remember like after i finished like i was working really hard till i finished and right when i finished i just fell off the cliff yeah like I, I put. I blew my wand getting this book out and then I just could not do anything
1: for six months. I mean, I've definitely felt like that before. I I mean, like the the book that I'm working on right now, um, you know, my so Glass Immortals, the first book that's coming out next June, uh, it, I I turned in the first draft and my first drafts are normally pretty clean. And I turned in the first draft and I just kind of had a bad feeling about it when I turned it in. And that was last October, I think uh in 2020 and and i had spent all of 2020 just like crazy working on it no side projects nothing else going on just this book and uh and yeah i i I turned it in didn't feel good about it and then you know my editor came back gosh you know like three weeks later and said you know this isn't your best work right (laughs) and i'm like yeah i know and but you know thankfully she gave me she said look Go back, I you know what to fix. Go back, work on it, and I've done I think three pretty extensive drafts for it wow and 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 it's only until this last one uh you know, let's see first draft was October, and then third big draft was uh beginning of May, so it was only. It was only until I really turned in that third one that I felt really good about it. How
2: how big's the book? Uh, two fifteen. Oh my gosh! The first draft was two thirty-five. I think. I mean, here's the one thing that I, I've always said um, about you know really becoming a more becoming a more veteran in 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 this field is that no matter what book I'm working on, yeah, every book I'm working on is the hardest book I've ever written. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm you know. But 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 it's not just that. Is um I I never feel like I'm getting more comfortable. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm getting better at writing. I don't feel like you know I'm level. I don't feel like I'm leveling up. Yeah. But what I do know that I I I do I do get better at is I know when something is wrong. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like something's better. I just but I know when something I'm working on just doesn't feel right, and that's kind of like the leveling up part. I I listened a couple
1: of years ago to a a podcast with Philip Pullman, and he talked about how. Becoming a more experienced author doesn't make things easier because what happens is that you suddenly you're able to see like the branching possibilities right. of every single de- decision that your characters make. And so when you level up as an author, it actually becomes harder because you can now see this infinite universe and so you've got choice paralysis of where do
2: I go with each right. little thing. And, and it's also like um, before I became, before I went pro, before I sold my first book, I was so confident in everything I did. Yeah. You know, when I'm writing, I'm like, this is the greatest plot line. This is the greatest dialogue. Everything's wonderful. And it's just, it's, it's, oh, it's almost like a confidence from ignorance, you know? And, <laughs> and, and, and now that I, I've done like, you know, whatever, you know, 10, 11 books, every decision I make, I'm like, is is this what it should be? And I question everything so much more now because you know maybe it's because I do see all those infinite paths, and it really takes a long time to kind of like narrow down to is this the post is what's happening right now the best possible choice for the story and does it serve you know the characters best?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I run into the same exact same thing, and it's it's very frustrating.
2: Can I ask you this question? Let me ask you this question. I'm going to ask you this. Question. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So I mean, you started out, you know, you came out. Of, you 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 came into publishing like right out of the canon. You know, you have a huge epic fantasy. It's done really well for you. It's it's got longevity, it's a long a long tail in the market. Have you found that the more successful you've become, the harder it is to write?
1: Um, I don't know. I I think that there's like a part of me that really wants to like rest on my laurels kind of thing. Right. Um and, and want to say, oh, yeah, you know, I can put out an epic fantasy every two years. It's no big deal. I don't have to have side projects. I don't have to push myself too hard. Um, you know, there's a part of me that does that. But for the writing itself i think i don't think it has much to do with my success rather uh, versus what we just talked about in terms of right. you know my my abilities as a writer and my kind of knowledge of what's doing things right and wrong is a lot better and so it makes it harder to really finish something and feel satisfied with right. it um but i don't think uh, with success I, I don't think that bothers me too much um because you know, I'm always going to have bills to pay, and even if I pay all my bills, I'm going to want crap. You know, <laughs> I'm going
2: gonna... <laughs> to want. There's always
1: going to be something like, "Oh, I want to put in a pool. I better write a new book." <laughs> you know, so.
2: So it's just I don't know. What What about you? Well, I mean, I mean, you and I came out from you, you, you and I came out from opposite corners of, of the, you know, of the, of the field. Yeah, but like the same month, right? It was, it was like very. It was like a summer or spring, like 20, 2013 release, right? Yeah, yeah. Mine was April t- twenty thirteen. No, mine was April twenty thirteen. Right, but yours came from a big five publishing house from Orbit Books, and it was a you know, yeah. And he had Pierce Brosnan on. Was it was it Pierce Brosnan on 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 your on your cover? Mm-hmm. It was it was it was his stunt double. Is on my cover yeah and like like so you came out you know with, with a very healthy advance and you had pierce brosnan stunt double as your cover guy and coming from orbit books you know coming from Michette. and i came out i came yeah up through um a small press angry robot yeah mass market it sold a lot of copies but it was like you know it was it was, it was a smaller market than than yours right and i feel like for the for the first x like, maybe six seven books i really operated from a place of like i haven't made it yet place of like desperation almost because like you know when when I went full-time writing in 2014 my, my wife was like all right I'm gonna give you two years then you need to get a job <laughs> you know so so for 2014-2015 I'm like I, I, be, I better work my ass off because if I don't I might need to go back to the office one of these days and that was like a terrifying uh, source of motivation for me and now that I've quote-unquote made it. I, I'm more established. I yeah. know that, you know, my 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 dad isn't trying to get me job interviews anymore at the, at the local bank or whatever he's trying to do. <laughs> so now, that, now that I hit a good plateau and I know I signed my next yeah. book, my last book deal is going to keep me busy for the next three, four years or two, three years, whatever. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I lost a little bit of that edge and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like on one hand, I shouldn't be operating from that, that source. It's not a great place to operate from. But on the other hand, it really kept me going for a long time. Right. I don't know. I, I guess
1: for me, it's always been, I, I, I don't, I, I don't have that kind of external pressure because I didn't come from an established career. Right. I was just a few years out of college and I had just worked crap jobs and been unemployed for a big period of time. And so I hadn't really had anything that I was coming from to compare it to, you know, anything that made me more than the equivalent of nine dollars an hour was a step up for me um and so i guess my i guess the the little bit of an edge i have on that is that i don't want to go back to making nine dollars an hour and so i i definitely have that thing of you know i need to put out good books and i need them to do well and i need to keep up my momentum um but but i don't have kind of the external family pressure and the financial pressure of right. of
2: comparing it to other things like you do. Well, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, um, I mean, at least for me, I'm, I'm pretty sure for both of us, but uh, uh, definitely for me, I'm pretty sure that we're both unemployable from this yeah. point on, outside of <laughs> writing books. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like you have at least, you've
1: got something that you could go back to if you really needed to. But I maybe I'm wrong. I mean, industries
2: change quickly. I mean, the IT industry changes like literally every 6 months. Cuz you came from banking. I mean, I came I came from the tech side of okay. things and 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 tech moves super quick. So like Yeah. I I, I remember this um when I went full time I remember like 6 months after I went full time, I was like I was I was like, I don't remember how to log into any of my Unix systems that I, I used to do. I mean, I, I literally, my brain capacity is, is, is finite. So everything that had to do with my previous career was literally just like shelved out the window to bring in more writing stuff. Yeah. And now I don't remember anything. I can't even log into it, like any system now for the life of me. So, unemployable. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I
1: think about it uh, once in a while. I do think about that. and I And I guess the options are pretty slim. You know, it's maybe maybe i could get into technical writing maybe i could do ip work which you've done some ip work uh recently um you know there's there's a couple of options but yeah like i couldn't go get a real nine to five yeah, job yeah
2: I, I i agree with that it's kind of like we're, we're all in on this <laughs>
1: How's, how's life been doing have you been uh, you're a kind of a stay-at-home dad in addition to writing right i mean i
2: think everybody who has kids over the past year you know, <laughs> everybody's been a basically a stay-at-home parent yeah um you no know, it's it's weird because when, when the pandemic first, you know, when the quarantine first started, you know, I thought to myself, this is no big deal because I've been working at home since 2013 and the, with, the, with the way my wife and I had everything set up, I, I still get you know, most of my writing time. Not that much should have changed, but it actually did change because before I used to have the whole house to myself and now like my kids were home. Yeah. My my wife is home and, and s- something about just other people being in the house with me just like drove me crazy, you know? Right. And that's not even like... Trying to work while I'm holding the kid at bay. You know, I have a two and a five year old right now and so I had a one and a four year old when, when the, when the quarantine happened and it was, you know, it, it was rough. Yeah. It just like an extra layer of stress that just kind of hovered over you. Right. Right. Because, you know, spouses are suddenly working at home
1: and, and the kids don't have daycare suddenly, you know, things like that, yeah. uh, that, that changes, you know, I, I, I kind of, I felt the same way as you did, where I just went into the pandemic kind of thinking oh no, nothing's really going to change, you know, cause I don't even have children, <laughs> Uh, but, but yeah, and, and it gets, it kind of claws yeah. at you and know, being, being kind of stuck in your house without being able to really go out and socialize without being able to say, man, I want to go visit a friend or something. I'm going to hop on a plane and go somewhere. Um, you know, the, it, it limits your options for the ways that you can kind of decompress get your brain to de- de-
2: stress, you know, yeah, take a break from whatever you're thinking about. Um, like, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I actually don't have that many friends um <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have that many friends to visit. let's be honest but um but one thing that really I did realize is um you know I used to go out to a lot of conventions we you know, that's how we, that's where we all should hang out, and that was definitely like yeah. one great outlet for me to you know decompress these you know hang hang out with people who you know with other authors who kind of like who know what you're going through what you're working on and kind of you know your your community your community yeah and and once I lost that, that's when the build-up started happening. You know, that's that's when that's when the burnout started coming out. Even though my day to day didn't feel that much different, but it was just that additional small layer of stress that building on each other. Yeah. So
1: you um you you mentioned the kids. Like, is it? it do you find it kind of a distraction? Or just having children in general. This is something I don't have experience with at all. Do you find it a distraction from the other things you want to do in life or do you find it as a something that kind of keeps you alive and keeps you going
2: uh i mean the honest answer is it's definitely both it's definitely both it's yeah i mean if you look at my my, my productivity i have i think i've 11 books published okay mm-hmm. and from 2013 to 2016 i was publishing two books a year right and then 2016 to 2020 20, 20, 20, 20 2016 to now, I've published three books. Yeah. Okay. And part of it's because I've been leveling up, you know, I've been working on, on bigger titles. as have some tie-in from 2016 to 2019. But it's, I I it's you know, having kids takes up so much brain space, you know. And it's not just like, okay, I can't work because I have to take care of my kids from, like, you know, one to five today. Right. It's like, it's, you know, you take care of your kids from one to five, but then you think about all the things that comes along with parenthood, you know, like, well, you know... Where are they going to go to preschool? What, you know, how, how are you feeding them? How, how do you potty train them? You know, so like every day right now, from like five till nine is like kid kid time. Yeah, where I'm hanging out with my kids, I'm feeding them. They're running running around like crazy. They're you know they're doing what little boys do, and then they go to bed, which is great because that's like you know the best time of the year is right after the kids go to bed. That's, <laughs> that's something I say all the time. But then, and then here's what it is: is after the kids, well, after you're done with the kids. You can't just sit down and start working again. Yeah. You know, I sit down and I stare at the wall for the, for the 20 minutes just because your, your brain needs to kind of like come down from that. And and for me as a writer, uh, my best writing time is like from like 9 to 12. Yeah. But then after you, you, you're dealing with kids all day, you're just – my brain isn't just wired for that anymore. So it takes a long time now. For me to get situated into a into a you no know, headspace of okay now let's get some words down yeah and 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 that's the real like drag of having kids is it's not just when you're with them they're also on your mind when you're not with them so right well that's it's gonna be that way with any responsibility that is true but children are, are children are a different beast They they really are you know it's, right it, it's hard it's i mean yeah it's just it's hard to explain unless you really have to deal with it and you know and, and it's something that we all have to learn to handle um i mean i know some authors i remember talking to john Scalzi once and he was saying how like you know when he had Athena, you know his who's 16 now 16 17 now but like when he when he he didn't really have that much help you know outside of their family but what he did was he was very good about like when the baby goes down for for you know whatever her two hour nap she mm. starts working he's very good at, about that transition and that's actually a skill you have to develop which I never developed because when my when my babies go down I just want to stay at the wall or like you know drink some scotch for like an hour and it takes me right. so long to transition over to that right headspace and that's you know something that for the next 10 15 years I, I gotta figure out
1: have you always had trouble transitioning into kind of the writer brain? or or b- before fair, kids was question. it easier
2: i would say that i used to i probably still had some transition that I had to go I had to go through every time but i i transitioned playing video games yeah so like i would sit down and before i you know started working on something i would play a game of like dota or something or play a couple of turns of civilization right and then after like maybe 15 20 half an hour maybe an hour sometimes you know <laughs> <laughs> but then i I'd get into it but then and, then and then i could write but back then though we had so much more time on our hands. Like whenever we got up eight, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, whatever, we had no kids, wife, no wives at work. Yeah. We spent all day puttering around, getting work done. And we could typically, you know, the, the spouse comes home, we hang out with them, they, whatever. And then we can work till 2 a.m. And it was perfectly fine. We had 18 hours that we could allocate our, our brain space to. But then once you have kids, yeah, you are always on their schedule, you know, so, like, yeah. right now, um, both my kids go to preschool. So no matter mm-hmm. what, no matter how much sleep they get, no matter what they were doing the day before, they're going to wake up at the exact same time. So you don't get any extra sleep if they, if, you know, if you tired them out the night before. They wake up, and then you're t- you're dealing with them yeah. for, like, you know, whatever. Get them, get them in the car, get them breakfast, get them dressed, get them to school. You come back, and it's, like, you know, probably 9.30, sometimes 10. And then, and then I got a veg for like half an hour. So by the time I start working, it's like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Right. But then at 4 o'clock, I got to go pick them up. So suddenly, the day that we used to have before we had kids, which would have been like whatever, 8 to 10 hours, is like 5. So right, that's a thing.
1: Kind of narrows right. your exactly. creative window. And then
2: at night when they go to bed, they you have them from 5 to 8, 5 to 9. So now, and then after you put them down, you're, you need to do that veg thing you do, which really I need to figure out just how to skip that entirely isn't that then you suddenly only have like 10 to 1 <laughs> but then you're also tired because you've been hanging out the kids all day so our, our windows are drastically shorter than it used to be
1: i'm always amazed at people who are able to uh not have that veg time because i i do struggle with transitions between even if i'm working out in the yard or something and then i want to come in and do to you know do a little bit of work you know, it might take me an hour to kind of transition from doing a different thing right. to doing a creative thing, and 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 I know lots of people who will who will say, "Oh yeah, you know, I, I I get up early in the morning and I take care of this and I squeeze in a little bit of writing for twenty minutes at this exact time because that's when the kids are doing this," and I'm I'm
2: always amazed yeah, at I mean, that kind of. Thing. I mean, I, I I was talking to um to Dan and Gabaldon about this once. Oh, we were talking over email, and I mean, basically, like like. like like, Diana and, like, like Stephen King, I think it was that in, in his book, it was, like, he will work from, what, he... Every day, his work is scheduled from, what, like 6 a.m. to, like, something like 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. or something like that. And that's their entire work day. Yeah. And then from that, the rest of the day, they do whatever they want. Yeah. And I think a lot of these people, they, they uh these authors, they train their brain to turn on into that writing mode at a certain time and then they turn it off. So because they, they can definitively turn it on and off at certain times, during that time frame, they're they're so much more efficient. For us, we, we I feel like you and I, we kinda of have like this yeah. work when we can, work when we feel like it, work when we have to. So our, our brain just need the, it needs a transition time as opposed to when they have like set time periods every day to get work on that. And that's probably the right way to do it. Um I just hate the idea of getting up at 6 a.m. right. That just feels terrible. Right. <laughs> I mean, part of the reason why I wanted
1: to become a writer is so that I didn't have to keep a schedule. And so, so that giving into that, even though I know it would be a lot healthier for me on kind of an emotional and a mental basis, I, I don't, I don't want to give into that having a schedule thing, right? you know, working from, you know, even if it was just, you know, 10 to four or something every
2: weekday, I still, I don't want to give into that. Right. Definitely. I mean, yeah, but I, the, I mean, I wish I could make my work period like nine to two every day. And then, and then like during the daytime, I could just not worry about work. Yeah. If I could do that, I think, you know, I would have a more productive day. I could work out. I could take care of stuff around the house. But the idea, but, but I'm not doing that right now. And because I'm not doing that right now, on one hand, I'm always thinking about work in the back of my head. And I think instead of thinking about my work and my family and you know, what to do with chores around the house. It makes me less efficient doing in in, in all three aspects. Yeah. So one of these days, or it's like going to a writing retreat. Have you been ever been to a writing retreat? Um, only a couple times. Like the, the best part about it is you have nothing to think about but but writing. Yeah. And so you can uh, so mo- in most cases you, when you focus on just writing, you you're writing more efficiently. You're writing you're doing better use of your time. You're not you're not bouncing out of it as as easily especially if you have other people who you're working on, you know, you're writing with There's some accountability there. Right. And that's, that's kind of the cool thing
1: about a writing retreat is that you're going to be with other writers. And so when you're not writing, you're probably talking about writing with them and that can be kind of invigorating. Right. Or
2: just, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm my entire, my entire self, my entire self is based off of like shame. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very shame motivated. So like when, when I'm writing with somebody and they're writing and I'm not, I just felt very guilty about it. And that's what motivates me to work. Yeah.
1: I, uh, I, I don't believe in shame. <laughs> it's uh, maybe it's cause I'm the youngest child. And so I could get away with a lot more than my like siblings did, but yeah, shame's I I've seen shame do a lot more
2: damage than it's done. That's fair. You know, positive uh, in, in general. I mean, I don't want to. It, it's a, for me. It's almost a cultural thing, yeah. which is very, kind of kind of stereotypical, I guess. But I I, I am I am a farm. I know, I, I kind of grew up in the old country, so a lot, I carry a lot of that stuff with me. But. Oh man, I, I actually wanted to ask you about that because so you
1: were you so you were born in Taiwan, right? Right, and so you lived there until you were about six, I think. I, think I was
2: five. Came when I was five. My grandparents raised me.
1: Do you remember that? Because you moved to Nebraska. Yes. And do you remember any amount of culture shock? Or were you too
2: young? Yeah. I remember a decent amount of it. Um, which thing is, when, when you're five years old, you're, you're still adaptable to everything. Yeah. So, like, I, I remember going to kindergarten and, like, I couldn't speak a word of English. I, the only word I knew was no. But because I was five, <laughs> I mean, I, I learned English in, like, three weeks. It, 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 it's just you know just you could learn to get up so quickly um and i don't i don't think culture shock i don't think i actually had any culture shock just because i kind of like okay i'm here and there's other kids and i don't know what they're saying but we all can p- kick a ball so let's figure this out and and eventually once i learned how to i mean if i came in and i was like 8 i think that would have been a problem i, I would have had to have been a culture shock yeah but because i came so early it wasn't a big deal for me yeah
1: do you is, do you think you transitioned really well then yeah
2: i i mean i'm i'm yeah um let me think did i have any problems what one thing about you know so i i, I went to kindergarten in, in in um in taiwan yeah so so i i just started the school system and, and one thing about the school systems, systems at least back then was they were a lot more strict than they are in the u.s mm-hmm. so when i came out here all i had to do was follow directions which is really easy you know if you're, if you're used to that environment <laughs> so i think if it was the other way around where yeah. you kind of have a more you know i don't want to say free society but like just more, more less strict of an environment you would have more of a problem adapting but because i came from the other way around it wasn't that bad yeah i also read a lot of books yeah like my my dad one of the first things my dad did was you know he took me to like you know a bookstore and he wanted and just said you no know, picks up pick some books learn english which is what and I you know, I, and I started off the Xanth books. <laughs> Zanf, Pierce Anthony was how I learned to speak English. <laughs> really, at that age, that young? Well, oh gosh, well. I'm. I'm. It might have been like I might have been like six or seven by the time we actually did that. But right. But that's still very young for Piers Anthony. Yeah, you know, I didn't understand a lot of the nuances. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, I didn't even realize there was kind of like you know some, some goofy things about some of the the underlining themes until like, right. until I got to um, the color of her pants. Right. I, I th- which is like book sixteen or something like that. And I was like oh, and I was like what what are panties? And it took me a while It took me a while to kind of like build up to that. But for the right, right. but as a as a young kid around 7 to 9 or whatever, it was like a magical thing for me, you know. once you keep the innocence of those stories. Yeah. They're it's they're super entertaining. It's it's not until you get like right. kind of pseudo puberty that you're like something's a little off here. Yeah, I think I read
1: a few of the Pierce Anthony books uh, when I was probably around twelve or thirteen, yeah. and I, I I thought they were a blast. And then they were they're, they're amazing. Yeah, I, I didn't really I, I didn't really connect with the idea that oh Pierce Anthony's books are kind of creepy until I I think it was college the first time I actually talked to someone the, about Pierce Anthony's books and they pointed it out and th- it's that weird thing where your brain suddenly goes. Oh my lord! They're right. Like yeah, once when, once
2: you make that switch, yeah, I, I was kind of like, oh my gosh. Uh, I, I actually remember. I think the first time I actually had that thought was um one of the books. This the centaur girl was with wings. I uh-huh. was talking about how like she like, worked out all her muscles a lot, so she was very built, and she was like, right, you know, getting physically developed. And then just the, the way they phrased it, I was like, oh wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I was like thirteen, fourteen when when that kind of clicked in my head too.
1: But right. Did you um? Did your parents were they fine with you reading like
2: a lot of science fiction and fantasy and that kind of stuff? My father was an English professor, so absolutely not, <laughs> absolutely not. He was like, oh, I remember, I, I, read, I read, I bought a Dragonlance book, and he was like, he's like tearing apart the first page because he just didn't like me reading like fantasy. You know, th- fantasy tends to yeah not be as literary as just about everything else. Well, it's it tends to be way more about plot than it is about language, right? But he's just like going through. He's like, this is this is blah blah blah, and he it just, you know what? He was he was happy with me learning English, reading whatever I wanted to read. But but when a certain time, he wanted to read like Beowulf or some some shit like that. Right. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know? Yeah. So, but it, it was, it was good. I mean, it, it was good. He, he, he didn't want me to read, he just wanted me to read more classics. He taught Shakespeare in college, you know? And then when I was 16, I'm like, dad, yeah, I'm going to be an English professor. I'm going to be an English major, just like you. I'm going to write books for a living. And that's when he said the, you know, no, son, don't be an English major. Your life will suffer. So... <laughs> At at what point did you seriously start writing? You know what? I mean, so when my my dad did tell me that I shouldn't be an English major because, you know, my life will suffer, um, I went into computer science, you know, graduated that. I worked consulting for a few years. It wasn't until I was probably later in my 20s, you know, 25, 27 maybe, where, you know— I was just thinking about it. I was like, I don't like my career. Yeah. You know, I'm I all I do now is work and like, you know, do Kung Fu. And there's I, I don't want to be still doing this ten years from now. So I started to you know I just thought back to like when what, what did I want to be when I was when I was a kid? What what really inspired me to like do something cool? And it was writing. So I just started writing, you know, here and there. And once I kind of rediscovered the fact that I really like storytelling, I also learned realized that if I'm if I really want to do this, I can't I can't do ten things and do any of them well. So if I really want to do this, I have to do it well. Yeah. And the only way to do it well is to really you know put all my eggs in, into that into that work. You know, put everything into that thing. So I quit I quit kung fu, I quit going clubbing, I quit a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> and then for like two three years, I just worked on you know. I wrote a low fantasy, and then I wrote the the first draft of the Lives of Tao. Yeah. Then I think that was in like 2007 when I finished like the you no know, whole bunch of rewrites for that. And then I got yeah I got side I got sidetracked by World of Warcraft, as you do. You know I <laughs> didn't we all didn't we all you know I was I was a raid I was a a, a raid officer, in, in,
1: in, in, in oh man so you were you actually had like guild responsibilities. Oh, well, we were the number one guild on Anubarak. And um, I mean, I've talked to friends who who have done like serious like raiding in World of
2: Warcraft, and and it's a part time job. Oh yeah, we had we had 150 raiders in our guild, um, and I, I was the I was the the recruitment officer uh-huh. in the number one guild on the server, which meant anybody who wanted any kind of like good loot had to go through me. Yeah. It, was, it was a total power trip. <laughs> I, I had a total power trip. On top of that, I mean, and I'll, I'll say this to this day, managing a whole bunch of people range, ages ranging 16 to 40, 50, yeah. to like organize them together to be a cohesive op- no, unit is like one of the best project management training I ever had, you know? Yeah. Because you can't just yell at these people to do whatever you want. you just got some relationships. Some of them are dating. Some of them broken up, you know? it's right it, it, it is so much but it really taught me like okay this is how you kind of become a good organizer of people so yeah it's a good experience
1: so so then you you wrote lives of tao and you you sold it around
2: 2011 uh so yeah around, around like 2008 and 2010 2011 i i just kind of you know i got burned out from rating yeah again i had to do a little soul searching again you know, what what did i what do i want to do with my life and you know that's when i realized that hey let, let's go back to writing i had a really good I had a really good early draft i did a rewrite of that draft in the 2011 2012 i think um, i remember i didn't know 2010 2011 and then um angry robot which is my publisher and they had an open submission from like in march we're like from march 1st to march 31st anybody can submit to us yeah and and then we'll, we'll see what happens and um not, they they had 995 submissions over that time period, and out of those, you know, a thousand submissions or so, five people got book deals, and I was one of those five. Ooh. It's like it's like my, the, the public publishing by Thunderdome, I guess. Right. And that's that's where
1: that's where we go from there. And then and that launched your career. Yep. Now you've um you've done really well with uh with getting a TV and film options. I've done okay. Do you? <laughs> yeah. So do you? Do you think that that is a, an aspect of the genre you write in or personal connections
2: or just having a really good agent? I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a genre thing. I think, um, you know, I mean, options happen all the time depending on different stories, you know. Um, yeah. I do think that my writing style, my, my storytelling style – lends very well to, to to the screen yeah um so that, that, that's that's uh, but i mean definitely you need a great agent great manager you know you need to have you need have great storytelling but but when it comes i mean I, I think particularly my style just lends very well it's you know to ha- having something on screen and then and once you learn about how like tv and film works um it's i i, I don't, I don't want to say that that i'm I write with TV and film optioning in mind. Yeah. But because it works well with my style, I do kind of like want to make sure that everything I work on has that ability to tr- transition over. Yeah. Now,
1: but you you have some kind of um, some experience in the
2: in in TV and film because you worked as a stuntman. I did some stunt work, and I was a I was an actor. So I was a screen I was a SAG member. And um, did when when, when was that? Oh, this is during the 2000s you know yeah most of it was commercial work i did you know a lot of like you know sell selling like insurance or you know right or like you know doing a post office ad or i was once i was once in an underwear commercial so which which (laughs) made me the world's ugliest underwear model that's like i like to say (laughs) but i mean it's they don't really correlate to be honest um i think i think moving forward because of the way um streaming works now how there's so many more platforms and and just the way how publishing is is, is, it's so hard for writers to make money these days yeah that you almost have to have that that channel of like tv options tv film options as a source of revenue because it's it's an it's becoming an increasingly bigger part of all our revenue yeah you have one too right You, you have an option going for a Promise of blood? Yeah, I've got an option for Powder Mage, um, and that was
1: pretty recent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I was announced last fall. Right. Um, but you you had Michael Bay option. Was it uh the the Tau series or was it Time Salvager that he optioned? Uh,
2: Michael Bay option the well, actually I would say the 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 option was with Michael Bay attached for Time Salvager that actually lapsed. Oh, okay. So now that's with another uh another production company so I, i'm actually don't think that's it's not that's not public yet but it's it's with somebody else right now
1: right okay and and you um and you've i i think you've already got an option for the the martial arts epic right war art saga
2: got option before i finished the book
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's that is insane to me like that honestly, that's the reason I brought the whole thing up. I mean, Michael Bay being attached to something is really cool, but optioning something before the book's even finished is really amazing. Dude, I I really enjoyed it.
2: <laughs> well, you know what? I <laughs> Yeah, I bet I bet you're very
1: pleased with that.
2: It was you know, it was it just kind of worked out. Um I mean, um, to to be fair, when I started when I started submitting um, War Art saga, I wrote Originally, I was like, "I'm going to write a partial and see what happens." Okay, I'm going to write the prologue of this of this series, yeah. and you know, if it goes somewhere, it goes somewhere. We'll we'll see if it, if it sells. And the prologue, though, became a sixty thousand words. Whew. So it was really a first act for the first book. Yeah. So it, it, I mean, so yes, it was a partial, but it was a very substantial partial. Yeah. And it was a partial that had a that had a beginning, introduction. You know, it had an ending in, in its own way. It was the first act. So. Because it was almost a complete it could have been a book one if I really wanted to like you know make it longer. So that's where I, that's where that went. And um, because it was a complete story, it, it was easier to sell to, um, to the industry.
1: Right. Now you don't have to answer this question if you don't want, but have you made more money off of off of selling books or selling options? Uh... The, the, the very fact that you have to think about it, is what kind of intrigues me because you know, I I have one option and it is, you know, it's, it's a good option, but it's a less than a single digit percentage point of my income. Right. Uh, Well, I've sold five
2: options and I only own three IPs. So two of them I've sold twice. Yeah. No, I've I've made more money off off selling books, but you know, I mean the the, option is such a strange process. I mean i feel like hollywood is a very strange process it's a very strange industry i mean it's, yeah you know when they option something they're not actually buying they're just reserving the right to buy it at a later day that's what option is yeah you know there's there's an option price and a purchase price and if you think about it um there's over 600 projects in development right now in and you know in hollywood yeah and what something like 96 percent of them will go nowhere right so there are people just optioning, they're just throwing money and optioning things. And then they're hiring, you know, screenwriters and they're hiring production guys and they're doing all this work. And there's, and chances are nothing will come out of it. Yeah. I just, it, it boggles my mind what, what, how like, in, in a way, how inefficient it is. But then that's also how, you know, creative works happen is, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an inefficient process.
1: Right. It's creative people with money <laughs> is what Hollywood is. Right you know I think uh I think it's Robert Jackson Bennett who says that getting a TV option is like
2: being paid to hold a lottery ticket yeah well oh, you, you know you know what it's I used to think that but I remember like early on in my career when when like I learned how options work and I'm like you're gonna pay me this much money to to do this yeah all right and if 99 if, if percent of the time nothing's gonna happen from it then then we might as well go for the cash grab just pay me pay me the money and some, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna people say hey what, you know, when you get an option Take the money, push it out of your head because chances are nothing's gonna happen and keep working. It's just free money. Yeah. And and more recently, the past couple of years, I've actually changed that mindset. I'm like, well, if I'm gonna if you're gonna option something, um, I want, I want whoever options it to get the best possible chance of success. Yeah. So when when we're when we were selling War Arts, you know, we had like, we had um, you know, four or five offers, I think. And it and I did go with, you know. The, the, the most money yeah i went with the, the person who i thought okay who can who can drag this to the finish line who can actually get it made who has the best um who has the best talent that lined up you know i mean I, when when we took the offers and uh one of the big exciting factors was you know the the guy the producer yeah What what is his track record um my producer made made the boys yeah it's just one of my favorite ips right now, you know, he, and he's done a lot of like amazing shows that I love to watch. Mm-hmm. And he's a great track record of bringing shows, you know, onto the screen. And then the, the showrunner that we brought him for, Jason Ning, was, you know, one of the writers for, um, head writers for Lucifer, who's also one of my favorite shows. Right. So it's, it's suddenly you're looking at the bigger picture of not just the cash grab, you're looking, or not the money, you're looking at, you know, who, what kind of team are they going to build around this IP? to give the best possible chance of getting made. Um yeah. so that's 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 a that's a good that's an evolution. For me. <laughs> that's cool. Now you've done um,
1: you've done both your own novels but also worked on tie-in novels. I have. Um, with uh, Cassandra Clare and with uh, The Walking Dead. Yes. Now now do you uh, when you when you look at those projects do you think you personally after having done so many of both do you think you you enjoy one process over the other or do you think that they're just totally different things that are just
2: different aspects of your job i think the storytelling aspect of it's the same yeah you know r- writing an engaging story with with characters and having interesting things happen to them it is it's, it's very similar across the board and i mean I, I didn't feel like it was that different from writing like like a horror book like horror with the walking dead versus what i was doing the science fiction i was doing before versus doing fantasy now i feel like there's they're more related than not yeah um there's something to be said though about working in somebody else's sandbox you know you're following you are no longer god right and that, that takes a little bit a little bit getting used to is you know not only are you not you have to follow by somebody else's rules on, on world building but you also have to follow like it's their character it's their characters you can only do so much with their characters and, you can, and their characters have their personalities that you really have to follow. Yeah, it's it's different, but I I found it pretty enjoyable. Um, I mean, it, part of it depends on your partners. Yeah, uh, I'm, I've been very fortunate. Like Cassie was great to work with, and she and her, and I really learned about her writing process in terms of like how she how she crafts her characters, how she builds her world, and how she kind of like um how she establishes relationships. Yeah, like her relationships, like her fans are so. Are, are just amazing because they love the character so much, right? And right. I kind of was able to kind of break down like what did, how has she created this universe where she has such devoted fans, you know? And and it was really, it's really incredible actually. She's kind of a genius that way. Yeah. And for Walking Dead, you know, Walking Dead, The Walking Dead, you know, it's it's one it's one of the biggest properties out there. So when I was working on it, I was working with you know, you know, Robert Kirkman and like you know, Mike at Skybound at the time, and it was. One interesting thing is once we got the, the environment, the, the, the setting, and the the rules of the universe down, you know, he gave me a pretty free reign, you know, it's just tell the story you want to tell based off of this information that we've given you, yeah. and I wrote this huge outline, and they gave me edits, and they gave me, like, basically, saying, once once we were on the same page, you're like, just go, go and do your thing, you know, tell us the story that you want to tell, but in, in our world, and, and that's what was a very... um freeing aspect usually from what I understand a lot of tie-ins will try to like, grab control about with their property mm-hmm. so the author has very limited like you know very limited bandwidth on where they can steer right but in this case in both cases actually I was given a pretty pretty free range to do it right whatever I want you know within the scope of what they have oh that's really cool
1: yeah I I've always I've always been intrigued by the idea of uh kind of these tie-in intellectual property work because because writing novels tends to be, I mean, with some exceptions, it tends to be very solitary. But I'm fascinated by collaborative writing, because most other writers have a lot more chances to do collaborative writing, you know, comedians and screenwriters and TV writers, and all these different types of writers will often work with other people to create something. And, and we don't usually and and it's, it's a little bit lonely, but, but you have that, that kind of trade-off between being in charge and being a little bit lonely versus being the being just one of
2: the cogs and working with other people. Right. Well, I mean, I think it depends on the IP. Like, if you're going to work on Star Wars, you, you you're going to be on a short leash. Yeah. You no. Know? And then part of it's because you know the the yeah. Star Wars is such a known commodity. It's uh, the characters are so well known. And you know there's there's this Star Wars Bible that you really need to cheer by. So yeah. that that could be amazing because who doesn't want to read a Star Wars book? But it's also like you have to really, really be a cog. You have to be willing to be a cog and kind of just you know, push the story the way somebody else really is driving. You yeah, know? I was a little lucky because I was able to drive a lot of it myself. If, if I was being driven quite a bit on on some of these projects I, I might've chaked a little bit, but that was not the case.
1: Uh, that's great. I'm glad that's, uh, that's fun. Are you, are you looking forward to getting back to your own kind of universes now?
2: Yes. I mean, it's, I, I spent three years working on, you know, two shadow Hunter books and, and one, one, uh, the, the walking dead book. And yeah. b- before, before I started doing my own stuff again, I mean, the last time I published my own stuff was 2016. So it's been a while. Yeah. And it, so it's time. And, and, and especially in this day and age, um, you know, with, Again, like I always talk about how, like I t- try to take you know all our revenue streams in mind. Is right now IP is king, you know. So mm-hmm. because of the way platforms are, there's you know, so many more platforms now. Everybody's so starved for content that um, publishing your own stuff is really the and the best way moving forward, you know. Yeah, it's it's, it's how you you can you can make the most money. Suddenly, when you control your own IP, you have you can sell rights, the you know, the foreign rights, the audio rights, the option rights. It, there's it, there's so many more buckets to work with, but you know. But it's also a
1: lot, lot more risk. Right, right. It's it's almost like a it's working for a tie-in is almost like having a normal job because you're just kind of going to work and doing a creative thing. Right. But you're doing it for someone right. else uh, versus working on your own intellectual property. It's right. Yeah, you're taking both the benefits and the risks of you know it might bomb or it might get a TV show. that – and
2: and I blow up right? Yeah. But then, but when you do tie in, or then you, know, you, you usually get paid up front too. That's always nice. <laughs> Getting paid up front is usually nice. <laughs> yeah. So, uh
1: how many books are in the new series that you're under contract for? Three.
2: I'm under contract for three. Um, I have a completed plot for the, uh, a completed arc yeah. for the for all three books. Um, the first book's 180 thousand words. but two and three will probably be around 200 a piece, maybe more uh, a a part of me really wants to go to five books. Like, like in my head, I'm like, I could totally, you know, take this side, take this kind of like issue on this side, really blow it up and really have a grand story that goes to five books. But then, I don't know, man. I mean, serious fatigue is a real thing, yeah. you know, and I just don't know if I have the if I have it in me to like really stay in this world, especially an epic fantasy world, for five five full books. Man, I,
1: I think about that kind of stuff a lot. Um, I I had originally kind of had been planning for the second of the Powder Mage series, okay. uh, to be five books, and then my editor left, uh, right after editing the first book. She ended up getting you know poached by Tor, uh, and she uh and so she left, and I kind of was you know orphaned uh, at my publisher and thought man i i can't kind of be an orphaned author and and try to add two more books to this right. this plot line and and so i all these kind of little things i had been setting up and plot lines i had been kind of hoping to expand upon i ended up having to trim kind of a lot and and it it was a little bit of a frustrating experience because you going into that uh, but i think about the idea of doing a 5 book epic fantasy series, because I feel like that would, I don't know, it feels like it would fit with my style a little bit more. But again, maybe it would end up being a disaster. So who knows? Well, what about your new series? I
2: mean, what, what do you see with your new series?
1: Well, it's a three book contract. Okay. Um, and, and honestly, the first book has to come out before, if I want to do five books for that, which I would definitely not you know, totally look over the idea, but if I wanted to do five books, the first book would need to come out and do really well and right. and do really well. Um, you know, if the first book comes out and it hits single digits on the times list or something like that, and they come back to me and say, Hey, do you think you maybe want to add to this contract? I'd probably say yes, but honestly, let's play ball then. Yeah. Yeah. But it, you know, you don't want to get tied for long series to a single publisher who, you know, your editor might change or the publisher might merge with somebody else or you know, there's a lot of small risks you don't really think about in terms of long-term contracts. Right. Well, here's also the
2: problem is like by the time you know that book 1 is doing well or not, you yeah. you've already handed book 2 in. That and that is that's the big problem. Probably, or you you've probably already handed book 2 in so yeah like like for me i was was going through this problem where like i have an arc for five books if i really want to follow it Mm. but right now i'm working under your assumption that it's just a three book deal yeah and if book one does just you know shoot out of the gate and they want five books i'm going to do it's going to have to be a massive rewrite of book two and frankly i don't want to write a book again (laughs) right right that's that's hard
1: you you never trying to plan these things in one of the things that they don't really talk to you about in creative writing classes a lot um with some exceptions is balancing your creative life with the business realities of of running a small business and planning ahead in terms of how business will affect the creative
2: intellectual property you're working on right you know? no i mean do they have any classes for that? Yeah. I have never heard of any. At least, you know, you get those. There, I have never heard of any class, maybe a workshop about like the business of writing. And on one hand, I feel like there should be a business of writing class. But on the other hand, is, is that going to, actually is that, is there, is there that many people who wanted to go into the business of writing? Oh yeah.
1: There's tons. I mean, Brandon Sanderson, you know, his classes that I took a long time ago that he still teaches. Um, he, he, he always was really good about covering the business things. Oh, okay. Now, now you wouldn't, I don't think he talked a lot about kind of what we're talking about in terms of long-term planning and stuff like that. Cause it's, you really can't talk about that until you're in the field. Um, but he was really good about showing people contracts and, and talking about how you, you know, how agents work and, you know, all the, all the basic stuff that nowadays you can, you can find most of that information online pretty easily. Um, but, uh, you know, when I was taking the class, there wasn't a lot of that. Okay. And I think that he, his, his very public sort of, I, I like to talk about how writing is done, right? Um, with both, you know, his podcast writing excuses and his classes and his 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 public lectures and stuff like that, uh, they they do really well for that sort of thing. I think it promoted it a lot
2: um right i mean yeah brandon's always been very very good about that stuff you know really like he's been very you know free with his knowledge and obviously he's one of the most successful writers out there um no brandon and i went to seventh grade together in nebraska i know i was gonna bring that up earlier and i i just (laughs) i find that very funny we're the same age we went to the same you know, it was a junior high slash high school combined. In seventh grade, we were in the same we in the same class. No, same classes probably. And look, our our careers are are, are almost similar. <laughs> no, 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 not quite. <laughs> Does
1: your dad ask ever ask you why you don't have sales like Brandon? You know, I'm very thankful he doesn't know who
2: Brandon is. <laughs> you know, no, look, honestly, I, my my dad gave me. if He didn't give me grief. He was just worried about me. You know, because he knows how difficult it is to like make a living doing what we do yeah so up until 2016 it's always like you know yeah you sure you don't want to back up you sure you don't want to you know you sure you sure don't, i could get you an interview at this bank or whatever here and there whatever we can you know, you got, you, you're going to have you're gonna have a kid, you have a kid coming, you got right. a stable job is what you, you know, it's very, a little old fashioned, you know, but it's also like, I'm like, dad, man, <laughs> the only thing I want to fall back on is like my ass. You know, if, if this doesn't work out, then I, w- I will have, tr- I will have given everything I had and to try to make a career out of this. If it doesn't work out, then I will figure something out. But until then, until I've fallen on my ass, then I'm going to, I'm going to give it a go. And so far, you know, it's been it's been good yeah um i do have concerns that look i don't like i just it still boggles my mind how like certain authors can sustain 30-year careers you know but but if you look at it you and i we give you the exact same time we're pushing 10 years It's not too far not too far in the future i mean that's we are very in the thick of things yeah
1: we, I, we've both been really fortunate with that and you know it's it's that combination of um yeah what uh luck and skill it's luck and skill you, know, and, in, you, you need you need different you know you, you need uh you need a little bit of each little column a little column b you need a little bit of each and you need a lot of grit yeah you know?
2: hard work hard work's the other column you just it's published pu- pu- publishing will punch you in the face yeah many many times and you know and and most of the times, you just have to like take the hits, you know, go mope for a weekend or so, and then just kind of pick yourself back up and just be like, this is this is, it has it has to be done, you know. Oh yeah. There's there's something to be said about how when you convert your hobby into your career, you really have to adjust your mindset for how you approach it, and you know, and and previously you know, we operated a lot off inspiration. Yeah. I want to be a writer. I want to tell the story. I want to do these things because it's fun. <laughs> that's, uh, that's so true. And I like doing it with my, in my spare time. Right. Now we are contractually obligated to be creative, you know, and when it's not coming, we got to work, you know, when it's coming great. But when it's not coming, we still got to figure it out anyway. And chances are, right, these words might suck and we might delete all these words, but We got to keep plugging at it because it's now literally our job. It's how we feed ourselves.
1: Hey, man, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate you. I I love hanging out with you, buddy. That was author Wesley Chu. Thanks again to Wes for his time. You can find links to Wes's social media and some of his books down in the show notes. You can find me, as usual, at brianmcclellan.com. Special thanks to James Sutter for music and Tom Bishop for production support. If you'd like to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com pagebreak or buy my books in ebook, paperback, or audio. Don't forget to like and subscribe.